and welcome to the business community with me, Heather Noble. And once again this week, it's just me uh, keeping you company. Uh, Tracy is off uh, taking a bit of time out. And I have to admit that I did find it really difficult to find something that I could talk to myself about um, while sharing something of interest with you. But Tracy and I are in contact via good old WhatsApp, and she brought to my attention an article um, that many of you would have seen this week. Um, in particular, uh, she pointed it out on the BBC. Uh, and this is the story of Uber and the big change that has come into play uh, as a result of um, a ruling that was made at the High Court. Uh, we've talked about Uber and the gig economy quite a few times in the past uh, on, on the business community. And it seems that in the background, things have still been rumbling on. So the BBC uh, article uh, lists the fact that Uber are willing to change as they now give drivers minimum wage, holiday pay and pensions. Uh, they, they have said that drivers from now on, around 70,000 drivers in the UK, uh, will get at least the national living wage or £8.72 an hour. And it is thought that there will be wider implications and ramifications for the gig economy as a whole. Uber's chief executive, whose name I, I cannot pronounce, said that uh, this is a significant improvement in the standard of work for UK drivers. And, uh, and the company stresses that they are just one of many uh, bookable car um, companies in the UK. So they're not the only one. And as a global organization, Uber is actually worth $110 billion. So it's so much more than just the UK arm. Um, and interestingly, the article says that they have never made a profit, uh, which I, I guess is something to do with the way that it is structured in relation to other organisations. But as I said, the chief exec is saying that, you know, this, this has been rumbling along in the background for quite a while. And although he recognises that a lot of people won't see this as a positive because they might think that they should have acted sooner, he's hoping that it will be met with the, uh, the, the spirit with which it's intended. Uh, so, of course, now Uber drivers are workers. They are not self-employed. Uh, and so that sort of poses the whole question about what does that actually mean? Uh, and so I went popped along to find out a bit more about some of the definitions that we've touched on in the past and just to remind us what constitutes a worker. So on gov.uk, uh, there's a whole document about employment, employment status. So if you are employing anybody uh, or you're thinking of employing somebody or indeed you are employed, uh, it could be worth you taking a look to see where you fit under some of these categories. So the worker, this is the, um, the Uber worker, uh, is generally classed as a worker if they have a contract or other arrangement to do work or services personally for a reward. And interestingly, the contract doesn't have to be a written contract. It can be a verbal implied contract. Um, if their work is, their reward is, for money or a benefiting kind, 
including the promise of a contract or future work. I think that's a really interesting one. They only have a limited right to send someone else to do the work, to subcontract. So you, you're, you are a worker if you can't send somebody in your stead. And this particular one, and I think that this, this covers a lot of us, the person is generally classed as a worker if they have to turn up for work, even if they don't want to. I think we've all had days like that. And of course, then they start to list the workers, the employment rights that workers are entitled to, which is the national minimum wage, um, paid holiday, um, rest breaks, uh, not to work more than 48 hours on average per week, uh, and some protection around unlawful discrimination, protection for whistleblowing, uh, and not to be treated less favorably favorably if they are part-time. And then there are places where they may be entitled to statutory payments, such as sick pay, adoption pay, maternity pay, etc. Now this is, um, as opposed to an employee who does work under an employment contract. And their rights uh, are exactly the same as for workers, but they have extra employment rights and responsibilities that don't apply to workers who aren't employees. So it's that, you know, you think you think of a worker, well, isn't a worker an employee? Well, no, in, in this context, they're two totally different things. So if you want to work out if somebody is employed, then uh, somebody who works for a business is probably an employee if most of the following are true. They are required to work regularly unless they're on leave. They're required to do a minimum number of hours and expect to be paid for the time that they work. A manager or supervisor is responsible for their workload, saying when a piece of work should be finished and how it should be done. They don't have that autonomy that perhaps an Uber driver has where they, they, get, they get the gig, they get the call and they go and do it. Uh, and also um, an employee can't send someone else to do their work for them. Also, they can join the business pension scheme and the business provides the materials, tools and equipment for them to do their work. So that's where we start to, to look at those differences. As I read on, uh, there were a couple of other things, statuses that I wasn't aware of were formal statuses. For example, employee shareholders. This is someone who works under an employment contract and owns at least £2,000 worth of shares in the employer's company or parent company. Uh, and they lose some rights, interestingly. So if you are an employee shareholder, you are not protected against unfair dismissal. Uh, you are, apart from um, grounds of discrimination and in relation to health and safety, you are not entitled to statutory redundancy pay. You don't have the right to request flexible working hours, except if you've returned for, from parental leave. And there are certain statutory rights about time off for training that you're not entitled to. So again, there's, there's a whole another level of people. So the whole employed, self-employed, director, contractor, worker, employee, there are these little tweaks, these little differences. So wherever you sit, in and amongst the uh, the different definitions, it's probably worth you checking 
what your rights are and of course perhaps more importantly if you're an employer or somebody who has um, office holders or people who who work for you as perhaps as a contractor where the lines cross over and as I said we've talked about this before in the past but if you do pop along to gov.uk there is a get your business ready to employ staff step-by-step -step guide I will pop a link to this uh, on our uh, on our website which is thebusiness.community now Looking for something to review this week, I was reminded of a book that Tracy and I reviewed a few weeks ago now. You may remember The Little Book of Big Management Theories. And uh, here it is with all the post-it notes in it, which, as we all know, is an indication that I think it's a really, really good book. There's another book in the series uh, written by Bob Bates, who was one of the co-authors. Uh, and I decided to order myself a copy. It's published by Pearson Publishing. And this is in the same series, The Little Book of Big Coaching Models, 76 Ways to Help Managers Get the Best Out of People. Now, my day job is uh, includes coaching. Uh, and I think this book is absolutely a go-to for managers who are trying to manage people and coach people and mentor people, particularly um, at the moment in some of this, the challenging um, workplace environments that we are working in and are about to work in. So it's a really good book, exactly the same format as, as the previous one. Uh, there's a theory, they give you a praise of the theory, they tell you how you might use it, uh, who you might use it with and some of the questions that you might want to ask yourself if you are coaching somebody. So I just picked out some of the ones that you may have heard of. Some of them are really in-depth and slightly more um, theoretical around workplace psychology etc. But um, some, some of the ones that a lot of us will have heard of or come have come across in our working life for example, theory number two, Neil Fleming's VAC theory, the VAK theory. A lot of us will at some point um, have looked at what are uh, what what type of learners we are, whether we whether we're visual learners, auditory learners, kinesthetic learners. And this is one of those things that didn't they just teach at school? Maybe they do now. I'm so old that um, you know things have moved on. But in order to be really good at learning something, I think it's important to understand how you like to learn. I know I am totally, absolutely a visual learner. Uh, visual, then kinesthetic, then auditory. And, and I apply anything that I'm trying to learn now. If, if I'm reading something, I know what I need to do. I, I might go and research a TED talk on it so that I can watch the TED talk. And knowing that about the way that you like to learn or knowing that about the way that your staff likes to learn um, can be really helpful because it helps you to pinpoint what's the best way of getting some information across to them. Uh, so you may have come across FAC before, visual, auditory and and or kinesthetic and what combinations thereof suit you best when you're trying to take information on board. Certainly wish I'd known that when I was trying to cram for... Um, for uh, uh, training exams in way back in way back in the day, 
Another one that you may have come across, Kurt Lewin, this is about behaviour. This is You use this when you want to help someone to change their behaviour. And it might be that it's challenging behaviour, that it's bad habits that they've learned. And he talks about, he uses a sort of ice cube um, analogy where he suggests that first thing you need to do is to melt the ice cube. So unfreeze the attitudes towards the old way of behaviour understand why there is a need for change and what the benefits are about making that change then mold the ice cube into an into a new way of behaving so think about uh, what uncertainty the unfreezing brings and then think about how you might change your behavior what your options are what that might look like and then building on the benefits and supporting people to achieve those changes. And once you've done all of that, then you refreeze the ice cube uh, so that it is the new way of behaving. And of course, once you've done something like this, once you've gone through an exercise like this with somebody, you can revisit it. You can, you can have that conversation and say, whoa, hang on a minute, let's just go back. Didn't we, didn't we reframe? Didn't we refreeze? Didn't we think that we would change the way that we behaved which bits are working which bits aren't and how might we revisit that to make sure that the behaviors are changed for good and are beneficial to the individual and to the organization so you see how this starts to work they outline what the, what the theory is how you might um, implement it how you might coach somebody using it and then think about the outcomes uh, and they go into much more detail, but I'm 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 praising. Uh, I think I think the book, like you know, seventy six different ways to help managers to get the best out of their people, and of course there's a big section on communication, which is 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 the start and finish of so many things when you're trying to um, mentor people and coach people and develop people who who have got the right attitude. Um, and the right skill set, but they just need a little bit of help along the road. And one that we did have talked about here in the past in great detail is the we reviewed a book, uh, Edward de Bono's Six Thinking Hats. And this is, you may remember, where you start in terms of um, getting people to be creative in the way that they deal with challenges and problems and issues within the business they allow themselves to sort of step outside of the moment and think very strategically and very specifically from a particular mindset, from a particular position or standpoint. Um, and the hats are coloured hats. And essentially, you're encouraged to get people to think only in the mindset of one hat. So, for example, the yellow hat looks at the positive points. Think about the strengths in a particular idea or a particular decision. Whereas, as you might expect, the black hat does the polar opposite. It looks at the negative points, get them to try to see the weaknesses in an idea. Uh, thinking about information and in data, thinking creatively, thinking, uh, you know, that whole, um, uh, you know, all bets, are, all bets are off, all rules are out, you know, think of anything and, and see what that brings you and then work through those creative ideas and think about you know, what's good, what's bad, what you know, what you don't know, and what some of the dangers might be. So a fantastic book. 
Um, I absolutely love it. And it's a useful reminder, even if you know about these coaching models, just to revisit them in bite-sized chunks. Uh, fantastic book. This is The Little Book of Big Coaching Models by Bob Bates, and it is published by Pearson. And I will pop a link to that on our website, on our blog, which is thebusiness.community. Okay, so my profile this week is somebody that has been on my radar for so long. I set up my business in 2009 and I attended a conference in the same year uh, as a result of attending some women in rural enterprise training about business startups. It was some free training, uh, three sessions, and it helped you to think about what your business plan is, what your business idea is, um, and what you might do in terms of uh, getting the business going. And they were having a conference. It was an all-female conference. It was over at Harper Adams College. And uh, the guest speaker was a lady who absolutely blew my mind. And for some reason, I don't know why, over the years, her name has just disappeared out of my head. And I've really struggled to find who she is. In fact, I decided her name was something completely different and would always Google her. And it'd be like, no, no, that's not the person. Anyway, as I was going to be doing... Um, the podcast on my own this week, I thought I'd indulge myself and see if I could research and find out who this lady is. And I managed to find out, I don't know why I hadn't done this before, to be honest, who the speaker was at the Women in Rural Enterprise Conference in 2009. Don't know why I didn't just Google that to start with. And what I found was that the lady in question is a lady called Kavita Oberoi, spelled O-B-E-R-O-I. She's a British entrepreneur and she founded Oberoi Consulting, which is an IT and business healthcare consultancy. And she set that up in 2001. She's also, she's, she's very successful. She's, she's, um, she's worth about 10 million pounds. Um, and she has appeared on The, the, the Apprentice. Uh, don't mention The Apprentice to my husband. He's not a big fan. But she's also appeared on the Channel 4 TV series, The Secret Millionaire. But that's not why she has stuck in my mind. She, I can remember she, she turned up, she had no notes. Uh, she was wearing a bright yellow dress, uh, like the colour of a daffodil. And she talked about the fact that she is from Indian descent. Her father run, ran a plumbing and bathroom shop in Bradford. And she... Uh, wanted to set up in business she wanted to study she wanted to go to university and she talked a lot about some of the challenges within her culture that might ordinarily have prevented her from doing that and I was absolutely captivated by this story and how um, I, I believe her father passed away and the decision was left to her mother and her aunts and her grandmother and they very much were of the mindset that girls don't go to university but she promised that if she um, permitted to do everything that she was supposed to do in and around the home that she would be able to go to university and so she did and she um, 
She got a first class honours degree in applied chemistry from the University of Huddersfield. And she then got a job as a medical rep with Bayer Pharmaceuticals. And from that, uh, she um, set up her own business, spotted an opportunity providing clinical audit and IT training and business consulting for GP practices and won a contract with the blue chip company Pfizer. Uh, by 2001, demand for her services had become so great, she'd established Oberoi Consulting. Uh, and then in 2008, she was on um, The Secret Millionaire. She's an OBE, uh, and she has been involved in lots and lots of different um, philanthropic activities. She uh, was uh, Entrepreneur of the Year uh, in Asian Woman, Asian Woman of the Asian Woman of Achievement Awards. Uh, and as I said, it, it's not so much about what what she looks like on paper, what what all of these things are. It's it's the story that she told, the way that she told it, and the way that even though I don't understand anything about pharmaceutical industry I don't understand anything about medical practices I don't understand anything about IT her story really resonated with me it really spoke to me and at the start of my business journey I guess I was just in absolute awe as to how this lady could come and speak so freely and so passionately and so humbly about what she'd done she talked also about the fact that she's married she has children and again, culturally, there are certain things that the lady of the house is expected to do. And she still does all of those things and is a mother and runs her business. If you're interested in finding out a little bit more about Kavita, she actually um, she did a TED talk uh, where she touches on, on her story and her journey. And I would urge you to watch it. I, I just, I, I can't... I can't convey how long I've carried this woman's name around. Well, not her name, obviously, because I forgot it. But this woman's story in my head and how impressed I was by it and how it's motivated and inspired me over the years. OK, I'm not worth £10 million, but she achieved great things in spite of having other commitments. And I think that's something that as women we certainly find uh, that's not to say that guys don't have other commitments, but, you know, sometimes we're, we're spinning an awful lot of plates in life and it's how we still meet the expectations of our family and our friends uh, and do something that we feel passionate about in terms of business. So that is Kavita Oberoi. Um, one, one to research, one to find out about. Uh, and I will, along with everything else I've talked about this week, pop a link to her TED Talk uh, and her website, which is kavitaoberoy.com on our, on our blog, which is hosted at thebusiness.community. So that's all from me for this week. Uh, do tune in next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business. And I'm hoping that Tracy will be back with me in the studio. That's all we've got time for this week on the business community. If you've enjoyed listening to this week's podcast, you can find out about all the things that we've talked about over the years at our website, which is thebusiness.community. 
We do hope you'll join us again next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business. Music.